This is an interview with Shannon Tui, a student nurse at Parkland Hospital on November 22, 1963, conducted by the House Assassinations Committee. This is a taped interview between Jeremy Akers and Patricia Orr with Miss Sylvia Tui. I did it again. Yeah, As you were, Sharon Tui. <laughs> and uh, this interview is taking place on the 1st of December, 1976, at approximately 3.15 uh, p.m. Okay, Ms. Tui, would you basically repeat your story, which you've related to Ms. Orr and myself, with respect to your activities at Parkland Memorial Hospital in Dallas on November the 22nd, 1963? Yes, I was a student nurse at the time, and during lunch on the 22nd of November, I noticed there were two or three people who came to the, into the cafeteria area looking for emergency room and operating room staff. Working in the uh, emergency room part-time as a student nurse, my interest was piqued as to know what problem uh, had occurred. Uh, no one made any comments about any uh, any such incidents. Uh, not knowing what was going on, I finished lunch, went to the library, and was waiting for my one o'clock class to start. There was uh, one outside line telephone in the library. There was a doctor on the telephone, a reporter uh, from one of the newspapers known to us because he was at Park on at various times for stories, came in, asked the doctor to let him use the phone, was told to wait, asked the doctor again to use the phone, and was told to wait. And with that, he proceeded to hit the, the doctor in the chin, knocked him down, proceeded to make a telephone call, and his story to uh, the person at the other end of the line was that someone in the president's motorcade had been injured and was being brought to Parkland Hospital. Myself and another student nurse, Donna Schloss, overheard the conversation and both of us working in the emergency room at various times went down to the emergency room area to see if we could be of assistance. When I arrived in the emergency room, I asked if there was anything that I could do, was told uh, just to help clear the corridors, uh, help with any patients who needed assistance. I remember there were two people who had fresh, had fresh cast uh, for broken bones uh, put on, that were in the, the center corridor area, and I helped these people out into the waiting room area. Um, coming back into the center core area, there was a stretcher that, that came in from the hallway uh, with a body on it. It was being rushed toward one of the trauma rooms. I went with the stretcher into trauma room one. I recall that the patient had a bullet wound in the front uh, above the the right uh, collarbone, uh, slightly to the right of the, the center neck. We started to get his uh, shirt off, the back of his head, uh, above the base of the skull, uh, contained a large cavity, which appeared to be an ugly wound, uh, a lot of tissue showing, a lot of uh, blood in the area on the head. The wound appeared big enough for both fists to go into, uh, both doubled up fists uh, could have fit into the area. 
Uh, I remember after getting a shirt off, the IVs bottles were prepared, uh, tracheotomy tray was prepared, the uh, blood was drawn for type and cross-match, uh, and uh, vital signs were taken. I remember at the time the patient had a pulse and had, was breathing. I don't remember blood pressure uh, count, although it was being taken. I remember there was noise in the room. It was difficult. The person taking it was saying it was difficult to hear. The um, at this time, the, the uh, tracheotomy uh, incision was made after some comment that there would have to be a new incision made, that the, the hole that was present, which appeared to be a bullet hole, was not in the right location to be used uh, for the tracheotomy. I remember Dr. Jim Carrico making an incision and getting ready to put in the trach tube itself when Dr. Perry opened the door into trauma room one with his hip. His hands were uh, held up as though he were had just scrubbed for surgery or uh, was working on another patient in some way. He said to the people in the room at the time, you do know that's President Kennedy you're working on, don't you? As I remember it, everything, everyone stopped what they were doing for just a few seconds, probably one to two seconds, perhaps three. Uh, Dr. Perry walked up to the patient and put the tracheotomy tube in. At that point, we were all aware um, of who the patient was. At this time, uh, I took a tube of blood over to the uh, blood bank for type and cross-match. I gave it to a lab technician who said to me, as he broke it into the trash can, I, it doesn't, it's not a label tube. It doesn't matter whose blood it is. I rushed back to the trauma room one, got another tube of blood that had been drawn from the president, put his name on it, and ran back to the blood bank. And the blood was turned in for type and cross. With uh, the time sequence in being gone from the room was probably not more than um, 90 to 90 seconds to 120 seconds. Uh, after returning the second time, there did not seem to be anything else that I could do that would help to uh, promote the welfare of the patient other than being in the way. Both times when I left the room, I saw Mrs. Kennedy standing across the hall with her back to trauma room two, facing trauma room one. Uh, I, didn't, I do not recall seeing in the immediate area of trauma room one any policemen or Secret Service people. I went to, um, into the general area of uh, emergency room to see if there were other patients who needed assistance. I stopped and spoke with one lady. As I recall, she was a miscarriage case, but I could be mistaken about that. She was um, in need of no assistance at all. I made sure that the curtain was pulled so that she had privacy and couldn't see what was going on in the hallways. Uh, at this point, I went to an elevator uh, going back up to the first floor. Donna Schloss also reappeared shortly before I went through the door toward the elevator, and we both were going to go upstairs. Beside the elevator, uh, against the wall, the side of the wall that the elevator was on, there was a stretcher containing dirty sheets, which were bloody, and there was um, a bullet that appeared to be a dirty brass, in uh, brassy yellow in color, short as I remember it, uh, on the stretcher, on the metal stretcher next to the mattress. Donna and I, as I remember, Donna and I both saw this. We both made a comment at the time that it didn't belong 
did not belong there. Neither one of us touched it, neither one of us changed the sheets or cleaned up the stretcher. We went upstairs and uh, proceeded to a classroom where the uh, emergency room entrance could be seen from the windows. I would estimate the time that I returned up to the first floor into this classroom would have been between five minutes to one and ten minutes after one is the latest. Uh, we watched the procedure. We watched out the window to the uh, emergency room entrance area where the hearse had been, hearse had been uh, driven up. Uh, we did see the casket. I did see the casket uh, put into the car. Mrs. Kennedy came out, uh, opened the car door, got in, placed her hand on the coffin, then appeared to look around to see who the people were in that uh, immediate area. She got back out of the car, walked over to a policeman, shook his hand, and appeared to touch uh, his cheek his, his cheek with her cheek or perhaps uh, a small kiss, and in some way seemed to, to give, the, it looked as though she were saying thank you. Uh, she walked back over to the car opened the door, got in, put her hand on the coffin in the car, drove off. Okay, let me ask you um, a question or two about what we've just gone through. All right, you initially reported to the emergency room and uh, waited for how long before President Kennedy arrived? I think it was not more than five minutes from the time I arrived there till the time he arrived. And when his stretcher brought, was brought into the emergency room, you've uh, related that you accompanied the stretcher into trauma room one, is that correct? That's right. Do you recall the names of any other persons who accompanied, accompanied the stretcher into the trauma room? Only Dr. Carrico. I, uh, I just don't remember the names of the other people. Doris Nelson, the supervisor, may have been with it at that moment. Uh, I know she was in the room later. Whether or not she accompanied the stretcher, I don't know. Now, who is Doris Nelson? Uh, this, the nursing supervisor in the emergency room at Parkland Hospital what at that would, time. What would have been her function in the emergency room? Uh, overall supervision of to see that all patients were cared for, that the staff was on duty, that the equipment was uh, in working order, uh, this type of, of function. Would she have been the person who assigned this, this particular stretcher case to trauma room one? No, that wasn't actually done. There were, um, if trauma room one was open, it was used first. Trauma room two was used second, only because um, of habit, probably more than anything else. Both trauma rooms were set up uh, to handle trauma cases. They were both set up equally. It didn't make any difference. The ambulance drivers, the, the orderlies, the nurses, they all knew those two rooms were there. So the room specifically would not have been assigned ahead of time, nor would the personnel who went with the stretcher have been assigned when a stretcher came in containing a, a trauma victim of some type or cardiac case uh, that might have been in that area, uh, it automatically, a group of people formed and went with that stretcher and that patient. I see. Do you recall how large a group uh, would have come from the stretcher? How many persons were in the group? I don't specifically remember a number. Ordinarily, there would have been four or five, possibly six. And you related that you observed a wound in the neck of the, of the person who was on the stretcher. At what point did you observe this wound? At what point of time? Uh, well, I would think almost, a, as I recall, it would have been almost immediately after we got into trauma room one because we were looking for the source of the injury first. 
So one of the first things we, we would have done would have been expose the body and seeing the wound. Right, Whether you, or not I saw it before we actually started taking his shirt off or not, I don't remember. All right, how would you describe this wound that was in the neck? First of all, how large was the wound? Um, I recall it being between the size of a nickel and a dime, uh, small, probably closer to the size of a dime. It, there was some blood around it, uh, perhaps five cc's total. The, um, I don't remember it as being a ragged or torn wound. As I recall, it was rather sm uh, it was small, it was smooth. Uh, there was blood there, but there was not a lot of excess tissue around it. Where would you describe the location of the wound as being in relation to uh, the location of the, the trachea or the center of the neck? Approximately two inches to the right, um, in almost a straight line, perhaps down uh, half an inch, but not more than that. Right, when you say two inches to the right, are you... From the, tr from the area of the trachea, uh, where the tracheotomy would have been later. Well, are you referencing that? When you say to the right, would that be as you were looking at the patient, or...? No, to my right on my body, so as I looked at him in this way, it would have been toward his right arm. As you looked at him, oh, it would have been toward his right arm. Toward so as you looked at him, right it would have been to your left right. and to his right. Yeah. Okay. And you specifically recall converse, conversation to the point that this wound was not located in an appropriate area that it could be used for the tracheotomy itself. That's right. I don't remember exactly who said what, but there was general uh, about that matter. But there was general conversation around the table that there would have to be another incision made for the tracheotomy tube to be placed into the trachea. Do you recall who made that incision? Dr. Jim Carrico uh, made the incision. He was the physician who was uh, doing the entire tracheotomy procedure, as I recall. Up until the time that Dr. Perry walked in and put the tracheotomy tube in, after saying that this was President Kennedy we were working on. Right, you related that to us. Now, do you recall at what point you would observe you would have observed the second wound, which you told us about, the wound which was in the uh, rear of the head. Well, again, almost immediately after the patient was in the trauma room because we were looking for the source of the injury uh, in order to know what types of medicines and, and IV fluids and such to give. So I would think within 30 seconds of his being in there. Would you again describe that wound, wound that you observed in the, the rear of the patient's head? It was large. It was ragged. There was... Brain, what appeared to be brain tissue present. There was certainly uh, tissue of some type there that was quite a bit of blood, had very jagged edges. It was large enough, as I remember, for easily for two doubled fists to fit in with some room left around it. Uh, the patient was still breathing. He, he still had uh, a pulse while we were looking at this. Uh, it was a very messy wound, as I recall. And you would you describe the wound as being located in the direct center of the rear of the skulls as, uh, for instance, centered over the, uh, the neck stem? Not directly in the center. Uh, more toward the right, but certainly centrally located. It was not the entire back of the head. It would be more, uh, more to, the, to his right, as I recall it, 
but certainly in, included the center area of the back of the head, but toward the right, his right ear. Could you tell us how far from the right ear, ear that the right portion of the, uh, the wound cavity extended? As I remember it, it would not have been more than, uh, there would have been an inch and a half approximately of space between the back of his ear and the, and the right outer area of the wound. Was any part of the top of the head damaged? Not that I recall at all. Uh, I don't even remember his face being disfigured. Uh, his, certainly, certainly there was blood there. There was, um, it was a messy looking thing to look at, but at the top of his head, I don't recall being affected at all. And did you observe any other wounds, say, in the back of the patient's body, or in mm -hmm. the neck? No. The back of the neck? Only the, the uh, two wounds that I've described uh, did I actually see, and I didn't observe any others. You saw absolutely no other wounds which you would have understood to be either entrance or exit wounds? I did not. Only the two wounds that you have described to us? Right. Did you examine the body in such a way that it would have been likely to you, for you to observe any other wounds had they been present in the upper portion of the patient's body? I certainly probably would have seen any that were in the chest area. Uh, not particularly would I have, been, have seen any on his back. I remember helping move him, helping um, get his shirt off, getting him uh, straight on the stretcher, this type of movement but I don't uh, recall seeing his back or being in a position where I particularly would have. Had there been any, any other wounds in either the neck or the head area? I would have seen those. Okay. Now, how long do you estimate the period of time between the entrance of the patient who was subsequently identified to you as, as being President John F. Kennedy how long from, from that time that he entered the emergency room was it until you left the emergency room and went to the elevator where you observed the stretcher that you had previously described to us? Well, I was in the emergency room approximately five minutes before he came in. I would estimate 20 to 25 minutes in trauma room one, perhaps closer to 20. Um, it was probably not more than another three and a half to four minutes before I went, after leaving trauma room one, uh, when I proceeded to the elevator and went up to the first floor. All right, you were in the emergency room four to five minutes before, before the president in. arrived. Right. Then you were there another 20 minutes? With, uh, in trauma room one, 20 to 25 minutes. And then you would say, and then another three and a half minutes before you would have arrived at the elevator. Right. Three and a half to five minutes. I, I just don't think it was longer. So we're that. talking 25 to 30 minutes from President Kennedy's arrival at the emergency room to the time that you observed the stretcher on which the bullet was located. Right, right. But the location of the stretcher in itself in no way can, can be, uh, it could not be certain that it would have come from his area. It could have come from other areas of the emergency room. It could have had absolutely no bearing upon the case at all. It could have, but it as well could not have. Could you describe again exactly what was on the stretcher, what the stretcher looked like? Um, it was a, a regular uh, emergency room stretcher used in that hospital. It had a black uh, 
covered, uh, plastic, leather-like covered mattress on top of the, the metal base. There were sheets that were bloody, uh, thrown on the top in disarray. There was a bottom sheet that had obviously covered the mattress that was still partly around the mattress. Um, the sheets were thrown up in the middle. The ones that were loose could have possibly been one sheet. It could have been two. They were bunched up in the middle area of the stretcher, and the bullet was lying on the middle uh, shelf or base next to the mattress on the long side of the mattress. Was there anything else on the stretcher, uh, like surgical instruments, um, sterile packs? Not anything that I saw, not anything else that I noticed. Was there anything strange or abnormal about that stretcher, those bloody sheets, being in that particular location at that time? No. Yeah, they could have come from any place. It was not an unusual sight to see something like that there in that area. What other places could the stretcher have come from? Um, it could have come from the major medicine or um, the OB section of the emergency room. It could have possibly come from pediatrics if they had had an injury of that type. Any place that needed, any area that needed a, a place to put a stretcher to get it out of the way of what they were doing at the time. And would you say that it possibly could have even come from trauma room too? It could possibly have, yes. I see. Now, could you also explain to me why you never reported seeing this bullet on this stretcher to anyone previous to this time? I really uh, can give no other reason uh, any more so that I didn't report anything of, of my involvement there. There was, I went back down to the emergency room to work at 3 o'clock, and by this time I had thought about it and went back to see if it was still there, and it was gone. Uh, there were policemen around the hospital. There were Texas Rangers. There was uh, still shock and confusion over what had happened. Business was going on as usual in the emergency room. I didn't report it to anybody. I didn't dwell on it uh, as something to go and, and tell somebody immediately. And I realized that, that it might have no importance at all. It could just be coincidence that it was there. At, at what time would you have gone back down and seen that the, uh, the stretcher had been removed? At 3 o'clock. Did you, at any of these two times that you were down in the elevator lobby area, observe any other person in that area other than you or Donna Schloss? No, I did not. I, I saw no other person in that immediate area at any time that I was there by the elevator. Was there somebody manning the elevator at that time? Or was he... No, it was a self-service elevator, and you just pushed the button and it came to the floor. Were there any stretchers in that elevator? Not that I remember. Ms. Tui, have you ever been contacted by or interviewed by anyone from any agency whatsoever concerning your activities and observations at, at Parkland Hospital on this day? Uh, no, I've not been contacted by anybody from any agency or any, uh, any uh, investigation team. Have you ever voluntarily, on your own, called any agency or body in order to uh, volunteer information, this information? Well, I called your uh, assassination committee to ask to speak to someone, but that's the first time and the only time that I've, I've called and made an effort to speak to anyone about this. I can't remember the date. 
Could you please relate that little incident in Cambodia that occurred in 1973? Yes, during a tour with Department of State as a foreign service nurse, I was in Cambodia on, uh, in Phnom Penh on temporary duty, relieving a nurse who was permanently stationed there. During this time, President, uh, Vice President Agnew made a visit to Phnom Penh. And I was told that as the medical person at post that I was to be in the room underneath where he was speaking at all times if that was possible. So I went to the second floor, to, uh, was assigned to stay in a room until he had uh, left that uh, room on the third floor, which was just above. I went out into the hallway to get a drink of water from the uh, a fountain that was there. And down on a landing in the stairwell was a man who I assume was Secret Service agent. He had a, uh, a gun with him that looked like a sawed-off machine gun. And I said something to him like good morning or hello on this line, and he asked who I was, and I, t I told him my name was Sharon Tui. And he said, oh, yes, you're the nurse who was in Parkland Hospital when Kennedy was, uh, during the Kennedy assassination or when Kennedy was shot or something. And I said, uh, yes, uh, I am. I was uh, there when that happened. And I said nothing else to him other than, excuse me, I have some work to do. Well, what was your reaction to this uh, statement by the Secret Service agent? Well, I felt very uh, surprised that he knew about that, and it, it crossed my mind to wonder who had uh, who had what information on computers now that might possibly have given him that, that information. It didn't seem normal to have the actual staff of an embassy investigated before a, a vice presidential visit or other VIP visit. It would seem unusual. Okay. I, I think that pretty much covers the questions I have. Tricia, anything? Um, just to get the timing again, um, you were still there after Perry left. Is that right? I remember Dr. Perry leaving trauma room one. He well might have come back after I left, but I don't remember him staying in that room the entire time after he put that tracheotomy tube in. How much longer was were you in the room after Dr. Perry left? Oh, perhaps, um, well, let's see, put the trait tube in, I went to the lab, came back. I don't even remember for sure if he was there when I came back from the lab. So, I don't remember him leaving at a specific time, I just don't remember him being there mm -hmm. the entire time until I left after taking the blood, which was um, several minutes, I would think, up to six to eight minutes after I came back, if not even ten. But you were not there when uh, the president was officially pronounced dead? No, I was not in the room when he was pronounced dead. Okay, let me get just some quick personal data. We already have it on paper, but I'll get it from you on tape. What's your full name? Sharon Lee Tui. You were born when? 16th of March, 1943. Born where? Fort Worth, uh, Lubbock, Texas. Went to college where? At Texas Women's University in Denton, Texas. Graduated when? June of 1965. Then where did you work? Um, I worked, I joined the Army in June of 1966. I was in Vietnam at uh, 93rd Field Hospital from September of 66 until uh, uh, late September of 67. I then uh, worked at Fort Belvoir as an Army nurse until June when I was discharged from the Army. I then went to D.C. General and worked in the emergency room. When did you join D.C. General? Uh, in September. In October of 19, 
68. And I quit working at D.C. General in the emergency room in May of 71. Joined the Department of State as a Foreign Service nurse in November 71. Went to Bangkok on assignment in December for two years, and during those two years spent approximately six months at various uh, intervals in Cambodia. I then was in um, on assignment in La Paz, Bolivia from May of 74 until October of 76. And at this time, I'm on assignment to Peking, China, departing the 5th of December. How can you be contacted in Peking? Through the liaison office, uh, through the State Department channels, but with the liaison office uh, in uh, Peking. Thank you very much. Do you have anything else to add that you would like to? Well, this this uh, recording has been made pursuant to your permission. Is that right, Mr. Yes, I'm I'm fully aware that it's being taped and, and it, uh, is done with my permission. Thank you.